This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. I am excited this week to have another guest. You know I like to do market reviews. But I love having experts in the field on the podcast. And for this week, I have Tim McGrain out of M1 Concord in Michigan. Tim, how are you doing today? Greg, very good. Good to be on with you. Yeah, you know, I really appreciate you uh, being on the podcast. I have this episode titled Live Like a Racer at the M1 Concourse. I know you're steep into cars every day. You do everything from helping people live the automotive lifestyle through big events to, you know, racing during your lunch break. Could you kind of tell us, you know, some of the craziness that's gone up there in the uh, Detroit area? Absolutely. So M1 Concourse is an 87-acre property. We're actually located in the south part of the city of Pontiac, right on famed Woodward Avenue, which is actually where our name comes from. M1 is the designation for Woodward Avenue, Michigan Highway 1. So M1 Concourse. Um, obviously comes from that. Um, On the property here, we have 250 privately owned garage condos. They are varying in size um, and certainly uh, cater to a real diverse group of people that have an underlying passion about cars. Uh, We have a one and a half mile, 11 turn, high performance driving experience track. Uh, The end of last year, we opened up our brand new event center and we've got some more developments coming here, but the, the association, the, the garage owners here, um, they have, uh, we, we have a number of them uh, that are part of our motorsports club, and that allows them to get access to the track. And we do track activities for the members uh, during the daytime. Uh, we're actually, this, this time of year, introducing morning laps. So somebody wants the urge to get out of the track before they go to the office or whatever business they're in. We do lunchtime laps. We just finished a session this afternoon. We do in the weekday and the weekend uh, to make sure that that our members really get uh, the maximum out of their motorsports club membership. The cars that we see on the track here, because we are a high-performance driving track as opposed to a sort of a wheel-to-wheel racing competitive track, range from Porsches, Lamborghinis, C8 Vets, all all the way through to you know um, so Lotuses, MX-5 Cup cars. Um, and really everything and anything in between. Uh, we've got different ranges of, of, of abilities, driving abilities and skill sets as, as a lot of uh, sort of uh, gar- you know, car country clubs as we're sometimes referred to around the country have. Um, so we try to make sure that everybody gets the most out of it. But we do have some garage owners here that are, that are into cars, but not necessarily cars you take out and, and drive at speed. One particular owner, he's, uh, his passion is Kissel cars from the late 20s. Oh, wow. And he's got at least eight, eight of them in his garage. Um, he's probably the world's foremost collector of Kissels. Um, and then we've got, you know, uh, other cross-section of cars. It's, you, it's, it's, you know, I'm never always surprised about what you may see may come out. Uh, our owners are sort of always seem to be acquiring something new. Now, it could be something new to them and be the very latest and greatest, or it could be something new and it could be a, a brand-bodied Lincoln or something like that. One never knows. Yeah, that's that's true. You do see a lot of 
you know, a wide variety of cars from every era, model, make. I've noticed just perusing your website. Now, if you would kind of go into some of these car condos, I mean, that's a dream for every auto enthusiast to have a car condo. What are those like? I would assume, you know, probably the base one's what a one or two car, and then it, it just goes exponentially higher or bigger than that, right? That is correct. So the project was based around that we would M one would would build the the garage buildings. They were built in four phases, um, equally about you know of the the two hundred and fifty you have. They were sort of the equal. The first phase was was eighty units. Uh, we delivered to the the owner um, a a clean white box uh, that had the ability for an owners to go in and and build out mezzanines. In some cases, you know they've got a, just a single level mezzanine. Sometimes they've got a level and a half. There's some really some creative use of spaces so that they can both uh, maximize the opportunity to have cars in there um, and also make it a place to sort of hang out. Uh, there's certainly a, a, a diverse uh, type of, of interior. We've got on one extreme, you know, we've got owners, they've got their race cars, they've got their lift, tools, and the obligatory TV, refrigerator, and couch. And on the other end of the extreme, you've got anything that looked like it off the pages of Architectural Digest or a, a New York City apartment with your white marble floors and chrome handrails and mirror and glass and everything and everything in between. There's a speakeasy theme. Oh, wow. um, it really is. It's wonderful the way. And the underlying thing is that they've they tried to work out how can they maximize the number of cars that they can get in there. So some of them have had lift companies do oversized uh, posts on the lift so that the lift can go up. And then when the car, when they're in their upper level, in their mezzanine level, they have one of their cars sitting flush with the floor, so it looks like the car's actually in that level. <laughs> nice. uh, very creative. And uh, and one of the things we noticed here, and and we have a relationship with a lot of the other operators of similar type of, of uh, complexes around the country. There's obviously Apex in Phoenix, Thermal out in the Palm Springs area, Concord Club in Miami. And we're very fortunate. We're, we're a, a rare commodity. We're a suburban racetrack. So being right on the edge of Bloomfield Hills in Oakland County, most of our owners are about 15 or 20 minutes away from here when they're, when they're in town during the summer months. So we see them a lot. It's very convenient for them to stop by and either hang out of their garage or, or get their cars on track. Cool. Now, I do have to ask, thinking about these crazy, insane, really cool car condos, what's one of the strangest... I don't know, automobilia or accessories you've seen in one of your clients' condos, if you can say, if it's public. Well, the ones I can share, um, I wouldn't say strange, but certainly one of them, say one of them is, is done out in a, in a speakeasy theme and then really sort of done, done out. Um, another owner here, he has um, a, a very extensive wooden boat collection, uh, which he displays uh, in his in his place, he's got a place for cars, but his his wooden boat um, models around his place are wonderful. Um, we've got one of the gentlemen that has one of the smaller units that's very passionate about uh, Formula One racing from the 60s, with a particular focus on Lotus. So he's got some exquisite Lotus memorabilia, and just to sort of a tribute to Lotus um, and Jim Clark, and then a few other you know, Ferrari or Phil Hill-related items. Um, and then the last phase that, that was completed, another 80 units, that uh, we completed uh, the through the latter part of last year. In fact, the very last units just got transferred over to the new owners um, in the early part of this year. So those build-outs are still underway. 
Um, but but I've heard there's some pretty spectacular builds coming there. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they're like when they're finished. You and I don't know each other. We've met a couple times, and we've talked on the phone a couple times. Uh, one thing I do love about being a car specialist with RM Sotheby's is seeing the variety in the collections you know different folks have you know focus on different things as you've mentioned here a lot of cool stuff that you're seeing not knowing your taste in cars uh looking through your clients condos here is there one that kind of says you know what that's really my taste for automobiles whether it's you know what you're into british cars from the 60s or you like the eclectic nature of you know one of your other uh, clients that maybe has something from 1901 and 2021 i'm is there anything that you've seen if you walked around that really spoke to your taste in cars? Well, firstly, my, my taste is uh, sort of broad in the sense I've been very fortunate over my sort of career in the, the sort of the classic and collector car world to spend a lot of time in the sports and race car world, which, uh, you know, is sort of mostly 50s, 60s and 70s. Um, and then, then I have a passion for pre-war classics. So um, in, in that situation... Um, you know, it, it, the garage is here. There's there's some some late model sort of exotic cars. Actually, there's, there's probably uh, I wouldn't say the single largest collection. That that makes it sound like there's a lot of them. But we had <laughs> we have one owner here that's got both of the four GT Heritage editions. Oh, nice. the first, When they first came out, and the latest one. And uh, we had another new owner come in, and and he had he had a pair of them. And, and he was, you know, they're very proud of what they have here. And uh, he said, yeah, I've got the pair of the Heritage, Gulf Heritage Edition GT40s. And I said, well, have you met, that I mentioned the other owner's name? And I said, no, why? I said, well, because they've got a pair as well. And he gave me this startled look like, oh, didn't know that. Probably just recently got one of the 722 SLR edition Mercedes, you know, the Sterling Most edition Mercedes-Benz, you know, which was wonderful. So there's really, a, I mean, four, four GTs, when you grow up as a, a schoolboy in England, um, you know, there's nothing greater than a, a, a 60s sort of GT40. So I suppose the, the, the later contemporary versions are certainly, especially in the Gulf colors, certainly sure. a particular passion. Yeah, and I have two ways that they could distinguish themselves is to get one of those really cool retro super performance GT40s, Gulf cars, or you know what, just pony up and buy one of the real ones. <laughs> well, <laughs> there, definitely... <laughs> there we are. The challenge is I... I I don't think any of the real ones are, are looking to change hands anytime soon. And I, and I think Pony Up would have to be more than an understatement about what it would take <laughs> to acquire one of those. But that would be the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I actually was in a collection recently. And, you know, they had four. They had the largest collection of this particular car in the world, but the collection was four. And now that doesn't sound too impressive until you realize they're talking about Copo Camaros with the Z01 aluminum block. Well, then it's very yeah. impressive. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Many years ago, um, well, I'd say many years ago, I don't think I know, but um, there was the opportunity, the gentleman that I worked for at the time, his partner had one of the three Gulf GT40s. Uh, the other one at the time was based in Arizona, and the other one, I think, was based in Northern California. Um, and John Lamb, bless his soul, who was at Road and Track, um, had um, arranged for a photo shoot, and all three of them were, were put together in Arizona uh, with Phil Hill, if I remember rightly, wow. uh, but more importantly with John Wire. And, and that was yeah. one of those sort of, you know, pinch yourself moments. Yeah, those, those are iconic cars. And I must say, in the short time I've been here, you know, what, one of those moments was probably last year, our American Speed Festival, our inaugural one. 
Um, seeing the, the, the three Chaparral cars and the two high wing cars come around the track in formation together uh, was certainly a, a great moment for um, you know M1. Uh, that, that was that was a special moment, but um, alas, they had to go back to Midland, Texas. <laughs> yeah, and if you would, that's a great transition. Tell us about some of your events, especially that event, because I know that is, from what I've heard, from being so new uh, to the scene, it's incredible what you've been able to do. And like you said, I think there's only three of those Chaparral cars in existence, and you had all three on your track. One of the things we were very fortunate, first of all, the nature of the event is, and as I said earlier, we're not a wheel-to-wheel racing track. So we created this event, American Speed Festival, um, and it's, it's along the line of some of the events that are done in Europe, where cars are either run on timed runs or, or, or one at a time or demonstration runs. So uh, we created the, the event where um, the cars could either go out in, in formation groups um, or in timed runs, um, and that allowed um, the, the three chaparrales to be on the track at the same time which actually had been the first time since I'm going to say 2004 or 2005 when they were at the when Chaparral was the the honored mark at the uh, Monterey Historics as it was called back then. Since that time, they've only ever sent one out, so it was a very special moment. We had four here. We had the three sports cars and then the Indy winning uh, Indy car, but um, uh, yeah, we were fortunate. And so American Speed Festival is a sort of a showcase. Uh, of the automobile, past, present, and future. Um, the Henry Ford brought out their 1901 sweepstakes car, which which they ran, their tribute car. Uh, the Vintage Indy organization, Vintage Indy Racing, uh, got a number of their members around. So we had a really great group of Vintage Indy cars, ranging from um, one of the Vels Parnelli uh, cars, the Lotus Indy cars from the 60s, and then you know through the 70s, and, and, and even I think we had a couple of later 80s cars, uh, we had a 9.17.30, do some laps on the track. So the, the format of the event is, is about a, a diverse showcase of wonderful machinery and seeing it run, which is, you know, really, as, as, as you and I both know, we spend a lot of time in this world. Cars are great, but, but, but when you hear and see them run, uh, that just makes it all the more special, and, which is re- and really what the cars are all about. It really is, and I know I just recently read an article about the international car shows, which is typically the newer cars, a lot of the brands pulling out of those because it's not an interactive, fun event like you will see at such events as yours and, you know, some of the ones out in Monterey, such as the Quail, some of the new, you know, supercar places, you know, Lamborghini, Pagani, they're they're debuting at these quote-unquote lifestyle automobile events where you can actually see the cars up close and personal, uh, you know, and if lucky, if you're lucky, they run them on the track and can hear them go, so... I love what you're doing up there. Tell us a little bit about the track that you have there. Now, that, was that custom built for you, or was that an existing track that you incorporated into the M1 concourse? No, the whole the whole project was purpose built. This particular property has been this this shape and configuration since um, the the early 1900s, possibly even a little bit before. Uh, the first motor vehicle company was started here in 1905. It was called the Rapid motor vehicle company and they started building which was basically most vehicle companies back in those days were, were building sort of commercial vehicles or people movers and uh, in about 07 and 08 they were acquired uh, by GM to become what was the founding of, of GMC so from that time through to 2008 this property had been the location for GMC it was formerly known as 
GMC Truck and Assembly Park, Pontiac West. There's another property on the east side of town. Um, when General Motors went through its bankruptcy in 2008 and 2009, the place was shuttered and, and went into a, a state of disrepair. And soon after that was was uh, demolished. Um, I think it was basically knocked down, so it didn't qualify as a building that the taxes would need to be paid on. So it was a, a, a pretty undesirable piece of property for a long period of time um, and, until the uh, the owners saw the vision of, of this particular size property um, and the opportunity of building uh, what would be a planned community of this one and a half mile. We're an 11 turn track and then the 250 private garages that are about around about a third of the track. The rest of the track is is either has open ground around it or we have the brand new event center, which is right on our pit lane. So it, it was designed purposely to be what it is now. Um, it was actually um, uh, because of uh, the history of the manufacturing that had happened here. Um, there was uh, there was you know obviously some environmental concerns. Um, a, a non-governmental agency called the Racist Trust was created to um, transition most of what were automotive properties throughout the Michigan area, and we were one of them, and uh, certainly one that's that's changed around. We're a gateway project into the city of. Pontiac, uh, which is which is coming through a transition and heading in the right direction. So we're proud to be part of helping the city turn around and and doing what we can do, and also creating a um, you know an automotive epicenter in 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 Motortown. You know it's it's the automotive capital of America, but um, you know there's not a lot of automotive venues. There's a wonderful Henry Ford Museum out in Dearborn. Um, there's there's some other museums that have sort of automotive components as stalls. Out, but you know we want to be something here that that during the season there's something going on automotively all the time. Whether it's events that we do, events that third-party organizations come in here, or just become sort of a showcase property. Great. I mean, you have so much going on there, and I do not want to move forward without asking you what's the top speed that people have been able to do on your track. It's not so much how fast can you get to it; it's how quickly can you stop when the next bend comes up. <laughs> That's true. I'm going to say on our on our long straight. You could probably, in the right car, you could probably get into the 170, 180 range. Almost this time last year, and I say this time last year, this past weekend was the Detroit Grand Prix. Um, and last year, just before the race, um, and that the Detroit Grand Prix has both the Indy cars and the IMSA organization running the sports cars. And there was a Lamborghini team out of Europe that had an incident at the race before, and they asked to come here and do a, a test day so they could make sure that they were all set up, ready to go down to Belle Isle to run. They probably we didn't have a there was no timing out there. I, I suspect that probably was the whatever times they were doing that was probably the fastest one because they were in a, a, a Lamborghini Trofeo series car cup car, um, right. and, and secondly they had their professional driver behind the wheel. But um, yeah, I'm going to say about probably about 170 180 down our long straight, okay. which uh, this track is uh, that that'll get your attention. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, that's great. And um, I did want to mention, you know, one of your biggest events, what occurred during the Woodward Dream Cruise. Now, I know you have a big show during that time. Tell us more about that and how it's incorporated into uh, the huge cruise that goes on there every year. There is. So it, our event is what we call Woodward Dream Show. So Dream Cruise officially is on the, the, the third Saturday in August. But it, it builds. It doesn't just sort of happen yeah. as a one-day event. It's, it's promoted as a one-day event. But the swell starts the weekend before and, and all week. 
Um, in fact, even last weekend, uh, the number of cars out cruising Woodward Avenue was pretty spectacular. Not the number, but the types of cars. But anyway, Woodward, so that, that week, the second weekend to the third weekend. So on the Friday, uh, we do this Woodward Dream Show. Um, we open it up. We have about between 250 and 300 you know, hot rods, custom cars, street rods, American cruisers, everything that, that fit what is a Woodward Avenue car culture. And we have a big car show here um, on the property. What we also do is on Dream Cruise Saturday, because that's very much a, a, an event where, and we are, we're at the north end of Woodward Avenue, so uh, the traffic coming past us is, is still pretty busy as people go up and do what's known as the Woodward Loop around the city of Pontiac and head back south down to Birmingham and Ferndale area. So we now have opened our property up on the Saturday to invited car clubs uh, for this to be a, a venue for them to uh, to gather, you know, Woodward has become so popular. Um, every piece of property up and down Woodward Avenue is either, you know, is already filled up. People have, have reserved it. They've rented a lot. Um, never got enough space to get all their car members in here. They have to get here early in the morning. So we've opened our <laughs> right. facility up to car clubs, and we're actually going to do in in the late morning or mid morning. We're going to do an, an escorted uh, car club parade. Probably about two hundred participating, you know, car club. Uh, cars and their owners and we'll do a, an escorted parade out of Woodward out of excuse me out of M1 onto Woodward Avenue uh, up and into Pontiac we'll probably stop and do a photo shoot in downtown Pontiac and then come back to M1 so it's a combination of Woodward Dream Show on the Friday you know all about hot rods customs muscle cars and then our um, Dream Parade Day and Car Club Corral Day on the Saturday just to kick things off it's not our event but it very much will we somewhat partner it so the Dodge, uh, Dodge does an event called uh, Roadkill Nights. Interesting name. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure the risk management department maybe had a little bit of a question. So probably we're going to call it what? <laughs> and um, so they, they actually close the section of Woodward Avenue right in front of where we are. They take over the entire M1 property. And they do the old drag racing out on Woodward Avenue. It's extremely popular. Dodge does it in partnership with the Motor Trend Group. Uh, so Roadkill Nights, you know, kicks off the weekend before. So it's it, it, we collectively refer to it as as Pon the kickoff of Pontiac Power Week. <laughs> and then we're looking to doing a, a smaller event on that Friday evening uh, with Tom Bailey, who's who's got a strong following in the the drag racing world. He he does a series of events around the country for for street drags called Sick Week. So we're doing that. So we're doing that event on Friday, and then Motor Trends uh, Dodge Roadkill Nights um, on the Saturday. And then we lead into Dream Cruise Week and Dream Cruise Weekend. That's huge. And I know that you're doing car stuff all the time. I mean, you're doing cars and coffee. You have some racing events. seems like you have a lot of stuff occurring there, not even counting just the fact you have car collections, you know, in a neighborhood, basically, is what it seems like. So I know we talked about the American Speed Festival, the Woodward Dream Show, the racing that you have, the condos. Uh, what else do we need to cover while I have you on the Collector Car Podcast? Well, you, you, you mentioned the cars and coffee, and, and, and uh, that was going on here before I got here, but we certainly sort of elevated what we do. We put a theme into it this year, so each month. Um, and we start them in, in April. They go April through October. Um, not as lucky as I was when I was living on the West Coast, where you can do them year-round. <laughs> right. But we, we, we put a theme. So this past, past Saturday, it was European marks. Um, the, the month before, it was Ford. 
And then we've also added on those Saturdays, the first Saturday of each month, the speaker series. So we bring in different automotive personalities. They could be drivers, designers, historians. We do a speaker series, um, again, tying into each one of our sort of Saturdays where we're doing cars and coffee earlier in the morning. So we've, we've got that going. Um, our new event center was designed not specifically for the automotive world, but it's located right on pit lane. Uh, the conference hall, each of the, the separate areas that could be broken up in the conference hall has its own car access straight out onto pit lane. And that's, you know, now that corporate business is, is back after the, uh, the pandemic challenges that we all experience, getting a number of both uh, OEMs and uh, uh, tier one suppliers that are starting to hold uh, multi-day sort of tech sessions here or showcases here. So a lot of corporate business happening as well. And, and they use the track for either driving experience days or product demonstrations. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of great stuff you have going on there. Now, what's the best way for my listeners to learn more about the M1 concourse as well as maybe volunteering as an ambassador at one of your events? Our website is is M1 concourse, and that's the, uh, the letter M and the numeral one concourse with an E for those of you that are in the classic car world and go to car shows. So m1concourse.com. And then each of our shows, each of our big events, signature events, has their own website. So it's americanspeedfestival.com or woodwooddreamshow.com. No, that's great. And I know we have a lot of listeners that, if they're not familiar with your establishment out there, they've at least heard about it. And I'm sure we have quite a few that find themselves running around your racetrack. So that's that's really great. Now, one of the things I like to do at the end of this podcast is to play a little game. I'm 99% sure I gave you a heads up on it, but it's called Keep Cash and Crush. So I give you three cars, and it's just for fun, and you have to pick one to keep forever, one to cash in, and then one, unfortunately, to send to the crusher. Now, if you have trouble sending a car to the crusher, just tell me your rankings, number one, two, and three, and I'll throw number three in the crusher for you, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right, the three cars I'm going to give you, two of them are on your website, uh, when I go to, I think it's, yeah, when I go to the event tab or the photos tab for some of your past events. So one of them is a early, let's say 1958 Porsche Speedster, but the Carrera one. So the rare Carrera model. I've got to throw in the new Golf, Golf livery Ford GT. So that's your second car. And then for your third car, I just have to pick it because it's one of my favorite road racers, Let's say a 1963 AC Cobra 289 car. So those are your three cars. The Porsche Carrera Speedster, the Ford GT with Gulf Oil livery, and then the AC Cobra 289. Which one will you keep forever? Which one will you cash in? And unfortunately, which one will you crush? Oh, well, I'm going to say I'd probably keep the AC Cobra. Oh, nice. Um, I think I, well, I'd have to get a, a, a coin over, have to do heads or tails. So <laughs> I, I, if, if I cash in one, then of the other two, then it means the other one to go to the crusher. Yes. And, and I didn't even think about doing that. <laughs> so I, I'm going to say, I'm going to cash in the Ford GT. Actually, no, I'm going to cash in the 58 Speedster 
and and I'm going to let you have the guilt trip about what you do with number three. <laughs> All right, you're going to leave it to me. Okay, I love crushing. What am I crushing? Four GTs. I love crushing those. <laughs> Actually, it's I don't. Golf that's, edition. That's, oh, that's just awesome. That's well, horrible. Of anyway. course, it's just for fun. But yeah. no, that's a great answer because you know of the two, if you're looking strictly for one to cash in, the AC Cobra with the 289 is probably worth 100 grand more than. The four GTs, because those have started to decline only because more are coming to the market as their two-year moratorium has been lifted. So I would call that a good choice. And, you know, you have to keep the AC Cobra, right? That's uh, just so iconic. Yeah. That's that's just, you know, that's one of those great cars. You, you, can, you can drive it every day or you can take it on the track. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time today on the Collector Car Podcast. I really appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.